Hello and welcome to Resident Advisors Exchange, our series of conversations with the artists, labels and promoters shaping the electronic music landscape. My name is Mark Smith and I'm the tech editor at Resident Advisor. Born originally in St. Louis, Ocean Day learned his trade as a gun-for-hire producer and songwriter while couch-surfing around Hollywood in the late 80s and early 90s, landing gigs with the likes of Patti LaBelle and Freddie Jackson, as well as producing for major labels. But a move to New York saw him engaging with house music and eventually led to the foundation of his label Yoruba, an imprint that communicates his deep spiritual ties to that ancient tradition. But although Ocean Day is best known for breakthrough house hits like Envision and Dione, his muse as often as not leads him away from house music and back to his roots in soul and jazz, as Christine Kakari found out in this interview recorded at RA's Berlin office last month. As always, you can find our full archive of exchanges at residentadvisor.net and follow us on SoundCloud at ra-exchange. The exchange with Ocean Lede is up next. I guess a really good place to start is that this year is the 20th anniversary of your record label, yeah. Uruba Records. Yeah, Uruba Records, 20 years. I never thought I'd, uh, I, you never think about it, you know? No? No, I didn't think about it, it just kind of crept up and I'm like, oh wow, okay, it's 2019, it's yeah. 20 years. Yeah. This makes me feel old. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I think that big anniversaries like this, they always seem to lend themselves to kind of becoming reflective and kind of yeah, taking in the full the full scope of whatever yeah, that anniversary Yeah, where you're going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. It's, it's definitely been that year for me already. And as well as the, you know, the climate of the, the business has changed with the distribution and everything. And so, you know, we've stayed a, a vinyl label throughout all of the changes. And now it's the most difficult time for, for making vinyl. I have like so many records ready to go, but four months five months to get a vinyl done and the cost so it's like it's very it's very interesting 20 years after seeing like where we are you know with the streaming the, the, the entire change of everything but you know still do it for the love and you know you know we we, we have a, a a good fan base so that makes it really important and and, and worthy yeah. <laughs> is your motivation behind what voice Yoruba has is it still the same or do you think it's been uh, affected? I think it's changed you know it's I'm 50 now so you know I started the label when you know mid 30s so yeah it's definitely different even you know the music I'm doing now and, and also the label has changed in the sense that it's less about me and more about opening the doors for other artists that I believe in so I've kind of the last I'd say six seven years I've kind of stopped putting a lot of things out of myself <clears throat> and um, focusing more on the other and you know the, the sales are not the same but I think the the approach and the, the love and the passion is is the same and, and also I, I get off on mentoring people and seeing the development the evolution and hearing you know the first record the second record you know okay well let's let's go here now and you know and watching those people grow personally and professionally you know so it's kind of like you you're like your kids you know you watch them growing you're like oh well no that's not right you're not you made that song about that that's not what you're going through you know it's it's you know you have to because my fa my family the label is a family for me so it's it's really um 
yeah, it's, it's been more important for me to just kind of push other people. You know, it's like I'm, I'm settled in my musical thing. And also I'm doing a lot less house stuff now. It's more more back to the soul and funk and stuff. So that's kind of taking more precedence for me personally. So, yeah, it's just kind of been, you know, back and forth with trying to maneuver all the things, you know. And I also started another label uh four years ago 2015 Soul, which is focusing more on non-electronic stuff which has been good for me as well so it's just kind of all these things in one thing and you know of, of all of the the things but yeah it's 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 changed but i think it's 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 just like you know it's like a grandfather you know you watch your kids you watch the grandkids so it's changed but i think the passion's still the same for sure but the direction is different and, and it's, as well as is i've had to kind of i think i've i'm i'm definitely more patient now i sit back instead of trying i think you know in 20s you're like you make the world happen you you know now i'm like okay let me just chill and watch what's happening and make better decisions on what to do and so i don't rush into things i think is is probably is nothing's urgent for me now that's the thing that's changed so yeah so you said that you're a lot more patient now, but it seems like you're no less prolific. I mean, you've just said that you've got like no. a bunch of stuff ready to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm definitely more prolific now. I think because I've I've taken the time to just like, you know, when you're working with other people, you have all these other energies that you can build off of and, and, and vibe off of. So it's, it's kind of one of the, and also I think it's, I'm more prolific now because I take more time to do the music. I, I play a lot more out. I DJ a lot more and I perform more. So I don't travel with any kind of studio. So when I go home, it's like full-fledged. So if I'm on the road three months and I'm home a month, that month I've probably written two, three albums. It's kind of like that for me because I just don't do anything on the road. I kind of block my mind and I get home and I'm like, all these experiences, all these people I've met, all these things, you know, uh, I put them in that, that moment. Have you always been that um, productive? I have, but in spurts. It's never been as um, frequent as it is today. Like in the last, I'd say the last four months, I've probably written about seven different projects. Complete. That's a lot. Uh, yeah, and you know, the thing for me, it's always, it's really interesting for me to, to be in the place and kind of hear objectively the difference of them all and, you know, and how it relates to my life or whatever but yeah it's it's an exciting time for me just to be it's kind of sad because i'm like i said it's so so difficult now in the climate of things financially and as an independent label and trying to keep the vinyl thing going and you know for me it's it's really important i keep going to the vinyl thing because it's really important for me especially for younger artists you know anybody can have a digital file you can change the name on it and you have it be you but when the artist picks up a record and it's got his credits and it's got his name and you know and it's it's a it's a thing of accomplishment and because i started the label and we were a vinyl label i just kind of always had that thing like it's it's a solidifying validating thing like, this is gonna outlive you you will die and be in the ground some somebody in some place in the store will have this record and this is a representation of you so <clears throat> it's difficult to sit back and know oh, i got all these records ready to go how am i gonna finance them you know, so it's all those things. And we also started, a, I started a festival this year as well in Croatia. So, you know, it's all these other things. It's, it's kind of like expanding on a shoestring budget. Sure. You know, so creatively, I'm, I'm probably the most happy I've been. You know, I, I worked on an album for seven years, my next album actually, for seven years. And it basically took everything out of me. When I finished that, 
all these other projects that I was mentioning before just started coming because I had this seven years of stuff like get out of me already. But but it's been done, and so it's, it's but again sitting on it. <laughs> so what? So if you had to kind of characterize what those seven years of trying to like exercise that, this. Uh, well, that 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 album is called Ashe, which means the universal energy, the the the, the energy we get from whatever the universe has. The premise of that record was I was in a place where, like I said, I had stopped doing so much house stuff for myself, and I was really getting back into the the funk and the soul where I come from, and then uh. I worked with an artist in Melbourne that had an orchestra, and I said, you know what? I want to put an orchestra on my album. So I literally spent the last five, six years, all my money from DJ gigs, went down and got an orchestra and did that. So that was the whole, the main thing was like, I wanted to make something that was cinematic and big and, and yeah. Uh, and so you went to Melbourne to work went with to this Melbourne over the over orchestra. five years, um, back and forth, and just recording and yeah. And like over your kind of very long and very detailed uh, music career, hopefully we'll be able to touch on a lot of aspects of it. Why was it now that working with an orchestra seemed like a, the vital next step for you? Um, I think it's always been in, in, in the back of my mind. When I used to produce for the major labels and I would work with, you know, artists and we had the budget to do a you know, orchestra. I was like, oh, one day I'm going to do that. So it was just that thing. It was like, okay, now's the time. And and I committed to, I think the first time in my life, I committed to it financially. Like, okay, I'm going to play my ass off for two years. I'm going to take money and I'm going to go down here. And I'm, you know, and it, it was also the, the, the benefit of having someone who had an orchestra. So I was like, okay, you can conduct, you can arrange this thing for me. I can, you know, so we did it together and it was just, it was just right time, right, right situation. And the, the guy who did it was, I can't even say how beautiful he made my black and white color. You know, it's, it's totally that for me. Wow. Okay. I think, of course, having an orchestra, like as you were talking about this, immediately I was thinking of kind of like the halcyon days of the music industry when in the 70s yeah. and 80s and yeah. artists would just, bring it in. It was just standard. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, you're not having an orchestra on this? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but considering that you're such an accomplished uh, multi-instrumentalist and vocalist and, you know, there's a lot of stuff that you can do on your own. Yeah, yeah. What What is it about having that ensemble energy... Um, and working with a conductor that it was it was the appreciation of of the trust of someone touching what I do and adding what I couldn't do and it was interesting because the way I worked the album with um, his name is his name is James um, was I didn't send him any lyrics any songs with vocals no melodies just the basic tracks and some kind of way universally it just worked out literally the 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 attitude of each thing was specifically the way the song what it was about you know if it was dramatic he did dramatic strings without even knowing so it, yeah it just it was just that thing like I knew I couldn't do that I've I've I, you know I've played strings and stuff on keys and stuff like that you know emulate things but to have that thing and I, I must say you know Working in the studio with strings at eight in the morning, you're like, wow, I want a quartet at my bed every morning because this is amazing. When, when you hear it, I mean, you, it's just a thing. It's like when you hear, uh, I was hearing, listening today to Benji B working on something with a string. It's just, you know, there's, there's sounds that you just can't replicate with anything else. You know, a 15-piece orchestra. Right. That's serious. I want to ask you a little bit about, I mean, you talked about 
um, having this kind of like unspoken connection mm. with this particular conductor and his orchestra. And I know that faith plays a big part in your life yeah. generally um, and, and we'll talk about that in, in detail in a little yeah. bit. But I'd love to know like projects like this, uh, the collaborations that you do, are they kind of primarily driven by these uh, unspoken feelings or yeah, signs. There's so or many facets of my brain always working that I'm like, all right, we got to do this now. And it's always at the moment, you know, I just, you know, from collaboration projects to live things to, to whatever it is, it's always that thing of like, uh, you know, my idea of my existence is my music. It I only exist because my music exists. When I'm gone, that's the only thing that will outlive me. So... I live in the frame of mind that I make music for when I'm not here. I make music for when I'm dead. <laughs> That's kind of my thing. So it's like, I'm here to please myself musically. And if you get it, cool. But this is my statement to say I'm here. So in my mind, that's always the first thing. Like self-satisfaction of what I can accomplish within myself to, you know, to go, wow, yeah, that was good. Or shock myself and go, what? You did that. You know, because sometimes you go like, whoa, that came out of you. So it's just those things, you know, you have so many, and, and, and traveling also expands the person so much that you have, like I said, I take these moments when I'm on the road and I come back and I'm like, wow, I just had three months of amazing experiences. All that energy in one place in the studio by yourself, nothing around, and you're like, it just comes out. It just comes out. So, yeah. You mentioned earlier that you've been traveling around a lot more, doing yeah. DJ gigs. and Too much. <laughs> Well, this, I guess, kind of plays into my what I'd like to ask you next is about you talked about the energy that you feel and how it kind of fuels your studio mm. projects. Yeah. As somebody who is um, really kind of tuned into um, energy and spirituality, what is that process of being a touring, working DJ? Um, I mean, there's been a lot of conversation the last few years about how destructive this kind of lifestyle can be. Yeah. How does it work for you, like... In, for me, yeah. I'm, I'm, you know, I've, I've, I think I've probably had the same experience as many DJs, especially starting out. You know, you, you get crazy, you're young, you, you're partying. For me, it's literally, I am, first of all, I don't listen to house music outside of the times that I play house. You know, for me, the process is I get all these promos or music that I make or whatever I'm going to play a week before I go out. I spend the time and get my, my sets, my, my music together, my selections together. I'm pretty much kind of in a in a kind of linear space now at at this age, um, to where I can I can hang with the best of them, but I don't get crazy. For me, I spend probably ninety percent of my time in flights. Like I said, I sleep a lot, and but like I said, I I when I go home, that's my downtime. Like nothing else matters. Like my mom and my music. So that's kind of my reset time so when i get on the road it's like it's funny because after two weeks of sitting any place i need to be on the road i have to move my body is just like i can't survive being that stable for so long so i think it's it's kind of in my dna now i don't know i, I could see you know it's, it's interesting you asked the question because i also take in, in mentoring some of my artists i take them on the road for me with me and my objective is you need to learn you need to experience what your life is going to be like when you get into this this is not just you know this great life you're going to be DJing and having all the best things in the world it's like no you're going to see airports hotels restaurants and clubs and repeat and maybe maybe you'll sleep a bit but you know so it's just a thing of like I think it's it's been a learned 
thing for me you know i had to actually grow up in this you know it's it's not an easy life at all and people think like oh yeah that's life it's like no i work my ass off you know and and sometimes you know it, it, there's a there's a i have an, a mantra like djs i mean promoters clubs or any kind of event you don't pay me to play music that's free you pay me to leave home you pay me to go through the fucking security you pay me to go through customs you pay me for all the inconveniences that I have to go through to get there. The rest for me is free because how great is it that I get to spend this time looking at all these people and enjoying the music that I like with them? You know, it's like, what better job is in the world is that? You know, so, but it did, again, it did take me some time to learn how to, how to have the lifestyle and be able to be a little bit um, stable with it. <laughs> it's not an easy one. But generally speaking over your life, you've been pretty... Mobile, I would yeah, say. Yeah, yeah. You've, I'm, you've... I'm a nomad, for sure. Yeah, yeah I'm where, a gypsy. Well, where is home for you right now? Um, I moved home, back home to St. Louis, look after my mom. I was here for, I was telling you, I was here for like a year, about a year, from 16 to 18, 2016 to 18. And I was quite depressed here. Oh, why was that, man? I think if it was it's not just too personal. Berlin. Okay. It was in the winter, for sure. Well, that's your first yeah, mistake. Yeah, and you know what the funny thing is? I didn't realize until I moved home, I didn't write one song when I was here. Not one. And I moved back home and I was like, boom, 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 boom. I was like, oh, fuck, I was depressed. And I didn't realize when I was here. And so moving back home to look after my mom was actually looking after me. So I guess that's the second part of the answer for your thing. Home for me is the, is the, this, the part that stabilizes me because I don't do anything but look after her and make music and cook. <laughs> so I think that kind of keeps me, you know, like you say, you go home, it's 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 this stabilizing thing. You know that that's the route. So I think going back, you know, I've lived in Europe since 2005 and going home, you know, for after 11, 12, 13 years. Um yeah, it was the best thing I could do, especially at my age. You know, it's like I needed that stability and and you know, and to have this moment with my with my with the, my best friend. So yeah. How has St. Louis changed for you as a place to call home? Well, St. Louis was never, well, I can say it's never really home, but it was always that place that I'd never, I never really felt I belong, but that's pretty much every place for me. But because it's very segregated and I'm just not that person. So I, I've got, I can never understand that thing. You know, it's just like every inner city in the States. And so growing up with that thing where I'm playing music and taking music classes with Asian and white people, you know, I got friends, you know, kids. And I'm like, well, what's going on? You mean I can't go over Johnny's house and play? Because we don't do that. And so that that thing is still the same. You know, they're still killing us over there. <laughs> you know, it's it's the, the, the whole racial thing in, in the States. I mean, it's, St. Louis is a, I guess it's it's pretty much the poster child of every inner city, you know, um, in 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 the states it's it's um it's a sad place in some in some ways but again i'm isolated into my own world so it's like even even moving around the world and living i make my own position and situation so i don't kind of i don't assimilate very well it's a nice place to be i won't be that long <laughs> <laughs> where do you think is next um australia oh really yeah. why is that I fell in love with Australia about eight years ago. I just think it's really special because they have created such a specific culture. 
that's not like anything else. They're so far away. You know, and that's the reason I haven't moved there because it's so far away. And I'm like, how can I make money being this far away? Nobody's trying to book for me from Australia. And, but I just think the people are amazing. I think that, you know, when you go there, there's everyone's there. Whether you're German, you're Greek, you're Turkish, but they're all Australian. So that's the thing that I like. Like my, I have, I, I think I have a stronger net of friends in Australia than I do in any place in the world. That's really interesting. As a African Australian who yeah. left Australia because it was so far away, yeah, it's really interesting to hear somebody, especially another person of color and another yeah. black person, well, saying you know, that's I, the place I, I want to go. Yeah, I've I've experienced the racism, you know, but I mean, comparison to the states, it ain't nothing. You know what I mean? I just think that. There's a moral sensibility there, and I like that. Hmm. You know, the first place ever in the world that they had the first gay prime minister, you know, just their ideas about, you know, there's not this big religion thing there. You know, they have partners. You know, just the idea of, like, you're you, I'm me, we're just human, we're here. Things are not so serious. You know, it's like, just be, you're cool, I'm cool. And I like that. You know, cost of living, don't like that, but. You know, but that that would be you know uh, for the nature and for the the the, the, you know, the cleanest food, the best wines. Yeah, I'm down. Melbourne, best music, baddest musicians. Yeah, I can I can do that. I'm from Sydney, so but all, Sydney, all, all, all know, I can do is agree with you. Yeah, I mean, you know, even 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 Adelaide. Adelaide's like now now my best. I love Adelaide now. Yeah, but yeah, it's just you know, it's like everyone's a freak without being a freak. Yeah, right. You know what I mean? It's like just be you. You're good. Okay, and yeah. It's just love. Yeah. And I like that feeling. Like you're not, there's no pressure of anything. Like everyone has the best fucking life in Australia. <laughs> Quality of life between there and Switzerland, I think those are the two countries that got it going. Right. So do you feel like when you kind of uh, recognize that Australia had something to offer for you, do you think that you were looking for that when you no, were no, moving No, 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 no. I just, I, just, I just understand and, and accept every place. You know, you know when you travel, you, you kind of, you kind of go in and you realize, okay, well, some places or most places are just the same. It's the people that make the difference. And yeah, most places, the people are just not as nice as Australians. I'm sorry to say, it's just, they're just good people. And uh, yeah, yeah, it's just kind people. And I just like, you know, it's like Canadians, same kind of thing, you know. But Canadians have another thing because they're too close to America. So there's a whole other thing going on. You know, you put people that far away, it's like, this is just our thing. You know, and just creatively, I'm just really inspired by by everything that's happening there. You know, it's just really, really, really promising. What is your experience as somebody who is a performer kind of traveling to different parts of the world? Because I know that you are, that there are specific kind of like soulful house and spiritual house scenes and mm. um, kind of concentrated networks of people yeah. who are really into it. Do, do you find that there are differences in different regions or it's kind of an international? I think it's all an international thing now with, with all of the fanfare of the DJ superstars and everybody's a DJ. I think the whole culture thing has totally like homogenized everything to where it's, you know, there's no like, you know, Afro, it's like everyone's playing everything. It's just, it's more about the DJ's name as opposed to the music now. And everybody's playing whatever, you know? And it's like, well, what is that genre? Is that techno? No, well, that's techno. And that, you know, so it's like wh what everything is supposed to be, whatever it is, it's not really that, or is it? So I don't really know that, like, I'm, I don't find the demographics specifically. You know, in the States, I think it's, it's definitely more. You know, there's definitely smaller demographics of like, there's a deep house, there's a sofa house. The rest of the world is not like that. It's just where you playing. People ask me, "What club are you playing?" It's like, I, 
I'm just gonna play what I play, you know. And then you know, you, you see some clubs they they'll give you the most actually they give you the list of who's played there before when they when they're booking you to give you an idea. What like it doesn't matter to me. The people are gonna come if they're gonna come for me. We're gonna have a good time. So I think that yeah, the the the, the musical thing for me, it's just like, you know, I see a lot of the the like half of the DJs now don't know their names, and I'm I'm sure most people feel the same, and half the people don't know my name. But, you know, there's just a whole nother thing going on that I'm too old to get into, you know. And I mean, I, you know, some of it's good. Some of it's all right. But I think it's just such a it's such such a it's just so big now, you know. So I think it all has to be from the way I see it. I think it's all kind of one thing. It's just kind of like, all right, you know, you have the deep house. But is that the deep German house or is this, the, you know, it's just, it's just our house. So um, I want to know more about your festival that you mentioned hmm. earlier. Is this something that's like a response to what this you've is, just described this is yeah i think kind of and i think it's also um it was f- something that i've kind of been working on out of demand i've been playing sons of beat for the last nine years in croatia and there has there is a after hour spot that's not associated with the festival called vortex which has basically become the after hour spot and it's not really kind. The, the festival is not really kind. To, so anyway, long story short, I teamed up with this guy because after so long of them kind of fucking with us to not to kind of not have our thing, um, I decided let's just do something on our own. And and it was probably the most organic festival I've ever been. Not saying that because it was mine. It was just kind of like the universe opened it up and go, okay, yeah, you have this. And um, I couldn't have asked for such a blessed start so hopefully we we, we we we're planning to do it keep continuous so we'll see and we'll see. this year was the this was the first, first it was uh, the last weekend of may from 24th to 27th and uh, i think next year we're going to do the second week of june and it was basically just yoruba artists and a few affiliated artists like charisma Jazz, and Bodhi. but you know a lot of the artists that have come out of the out of the house but um you know some some British artists as well. We had some Croatians as well, but it was a small one. It was like 300, 300 people. You know, we we did a we did a good good thingy. It was definitely the most family oriented thing I've ever been to. Festival I've ever been to. Like people were literally taking care of each other. Anyone something happened, you know, I was like, whoa, okay. You know, by the end of the first day, everyone knew everyone. And 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 musically, I was really happy because everyone brought their A game. There was not a bad set. So it was it was it was promising. We see what happens next year. <laughs> Let's change tack a little bit. I'd love to talk a little bit more about your history um, because I I feel like everything that I've read, every subsequent article or bit of information adds another kind of fascinating facet into your kind of life story and musical story. I read earlier that you, I guess you could say your first DJ performances were in your parents living room yeah is that is that correct very very true yeah well, i was uh about two years old my parents used to play well, my mom and dad used to play bidwiz and with with their friends card card game and they would put me on the um in a chair a high chair and put the 45s next to me and i would select the music while they play cards and that was my first um ever dj gig they used to do that and that was how i I just pretty much discovered music. There was music always. My pa- my parents were party people. Like they were they were like, you know, every weekend there was 50, 60 people in the house. 
You smell weed, is you know, and they would the parties sleep over. It wasn't like partying you go. And it was like weekend parties. I'm the kid waking up, stepping over people, and you know. So I got that whole like, you know, black 70s, a black American 70s experience, you know, like proper. So I I was thrown into all of that. You know, my, my parents were very liberal and very um they didn't hide things from me. They weren't like really, you know covering things up or anything they were just like this is our life and this is you know so i was i was very much um i think my parents were really kind of like well you know he's got that music thing so as long as he's not fucking up anything let's just let him do that so they didn't really you know they i was the only child so it was like you know just me and my music and that was it i didn't really have that you know a lot of friends and yeah i was pretty pretty isolated and kind of secluded in myself and uh introverted um, and that's thankfully for music, you know, that was my voice. But um, yeah, that was my first gig. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, do you do you have any recollections about like putting on a particular track? And I remember pretty much every song that was um, back in the day that that really sparked me. I remember Grease. The soundtrack of Grease was really big for me. Um, anything by James Brown, because my father just loved James Brown, and Aretha Franklin that was always in the house. I was one of those kids that would like that geeky things like Grease and um, pop music. Remember pop music, the German group? Yeah, stuff like that. That was like, you know. But there's a lot of things like, you know, I'll hear something like, oh, that's my jam! You know, but... Um, yeah, nothing off the top of head, but I, I do re- re- recollect like specific things as a, as a kid, like songs that were, you know, the um, Stars on 45, the Beatles thing. Oh, my God. That for me was like, you know. So there's, there's, there's a few things. Um, I think it wasn't until Prince, I discovered Prince, that I discovered like I want to do music. Right. What was it about Prince? It, was, it wasn't about him. It was about the sound. I was at my grandfather's funeral, my father's, my dad's father, um, in in Milwaukee, and we were preparing to go to the church for the funeral. And I heard "Soft and Wet" on the radio, and you know, the first time I see my father cry, and I'm like, I've never seen my father emotional like that. And I'm like, I could not be sad for him. I swear, from the car ride to the to the to the church to the by the, the repast, I was like, what was that song? That was the only thing that was in my mind. I was like, I've never heard anything like that before. And I think by, by the end of the night, it played again. And I was like, okay, that's it. And um, yeah, that was my first like identifying thing about like, that's, that's for me. And my allowance as a kid was um, two records every week, every Friday. My father would take me to the record store, and that was my allowance for doing my chores or whatever. Uh, it wouldn't give me money. It was like two records every week. And I think the, I think one of the first records I ever bought was uh, Madonna's Everybody 12-inch. And I was a kid. I didn't really know a lot of the music, so I would go by the, the, the album covers. So I think a lot of that now is like my aesthetic with album covers is that kind of thing. If it looks good, it's got to sound good. Not really true, but at least you have something to look at. But um, yeah. And so after St. Louis, I believe you were still a teenager when you um, yeah, I left, left the nest. I left St. Louis after right after high school. My father, actually my mom and I weren't getting along that well. So I moved out when I was 16. And I had a um, band manager that um, was actually a manager of some real estate property. So he gave me an apartment. And he was managing our band to get his gigs. So I, got it. I was like, right, I'm moving out. Independent. And my father's way of um, kind of mending my mom and I's relationship was, I know you want to go to L.A. You like that music thing. I'll send you, the, if you, if you make up with your mom, I'll send you to L.A. I was like, all right, cool. 
So I went there and, uh, yeah, I worked with Tony Basil. Um, uh, one, I was going back and forth for about a, about a year or so and worked with Tony Basil and some other stuff. And that's kind of what kicked my start of my career off. That and then uh, Jeffrey Daniels' album, which was quite horrible. But anyway. <laughs> and was this around the time that Tony Basil kind of had her, her breakout hit? No, no, no. That was, was in the early, late 70s, early 80s. I think it was early 80s. No, I met her. Um, she was working on a movie called Rockula, which is still, you can, you can find it. It's pretty cheesy. But um, it was her, Thomas Dolby, and some other people, Bo Diddley, and one of the guys from Sopranos. It was, you know, one of those B movies. And she wanted me to write um, a song for the movie that she would perform. And at one point, I was struggling so bad in L.A., like homeless and the whole thing. And I just went and lived with her for like three months. And that's how the Sesame Street thing came about. She was choreographing for Sesame Street. Everybody asked me for about Sesame Street, so I have to tell this story. Please do. So I was staying there, and, you know, I had my little drum machine, my little setup. And she would have choreography and other dancers rehearsing. And it was just they just used the beats that I was making while they were dancing. That's so it was like right place, right time. Thank you, blessing. You know, kind of one of those things. So it's like I never got to Sesame Street. I never saw Big Bird. I never, you know, it was never this whole thing. It's like you got two songs, the three songs uh, placed to Sesame. Okay, cool. So she was very instrumental in like um, that was my first like Hollywood. You know, this chick has been around since '60s, '70s. She's worked with all these, you know, Devo, Bette Midler. You know, she's she's doing it. And so I got the first like Hollywood, and she so she knew she was in the whole boogaloo. So all the guys that was in Breaking B Street, all those guys, those are all of my friends cause the, through her. So I saw firsthand the whole like Hollywood thing, and all those guys were trying to do, trying to do music and not dance because that was kind of you know that was kind of old school. So I was the guy that they would come to. I was, that was how I made my living. I would do demos for them, and yeah. Nothing happened from any of that stuff, but I did make um, some good relationships. That's how I met Gerardo and did Rico Suave okay. from that whole breakdance because he was part of that thing. And uh, at the time, so I have to go back a bit. When I first moved to LA, I um, when working on this album, I met um, a guy named Hilary Bercovici, which was um, an engineer for this movie that I was working on. He basically became my engineer. So I was working with Hillary, um, and he was the engineer for Bobby Caldwell and Michael Cimbello. So I'm like, dude, you recorded what you want to do for love, and you work with Michael, you know, Michael Cimbello, maniac, and all, you know. And so Michael, of course, was Stevie's um, guitarist. Right. Right. Okay. So I'm in all these, you know, Bobby, Bobby Caldwell. I used to go and take his his, his keyboards from his house. We would, we would go and I'd be like, Hillary, I need some gear. So I was just this black dude in L.A. working with these guys and this whole thing. All my mentors are these guys working with Stevie and Bobby Caldwell, all these writers. So that's where I got my craft production and stuff. Um, but going back to the whole Gerardo thing, um, I took the song. We did the song on a four track and he was working on a movie. He was an actor at the time. He was working on a movie um, in Acapulco and he took the four track and he called me. He goes, I rented the, the, the crew for a day and we did a video for the song. And I'm like, dude, it's a four track. We don't have a song. So anyway, he brought that back. I took it to Michael Cimbello. Michael took it to Jimmy Iovine. It's the first record on Interscope. And at the time, the owner of Interscope was this guy named Ted Fields. And he was like, if it doesn't sell a million, I'll buy a million. And I was like 17. I'm like, yeah, I'm down. Let's go. So that was my first like actual like thing in the, in the business. So. I mean, it sounds like you're really kind of 
right in the thick of it, like making all of these connections with these really well-established stars and... I think for me, it was just like, you know, I'm I'm this dude in the no man's land. I don't know anyone out here. So any opportunity, like literally I was couch surfing for probably like two years. So any opportunity in anything, I was like, let me just whore myself. Let me just go. And so that was what I was doing. And I think that we were talking about earlier, you know, when you have that thrive at the 20s. Now I'm 50. I'm like, I ain't got that energy to do that shit no more. But, um, you know, yeah, yeah, I, had a, I had a great struggle in L.A. L.A. was a great struggle. Um, from there, I went on and had some production with Warner, Epic, BMG, and quite a few other labels. And did about a good five, six-year stint of producing for majors. And after the, after the, at the end of this, for me personally, it was like I listened to the music. And I'm like, this shit is not me. You know, it was all these, you know, you go to the the, the office and like, we need, a, we need a tune like this, Teddy Riley song. And you're like, oh, that, I can make that. And let's sleep. So you do it. And then, you you know, you, you can think about. No shade like, to Teddy Riley. No, no, no. I love Teddy. I, that was my dude. Actually, we worked together on Black Girls. So. so <laughs> Another thing I didn't know. There yeah. you go. Okay. I'm, a, I'm a 90s girl. It's my song. Um, yeah. So I had this, you know, this whole thing. And after a while, you know. Um, you listen to the music like this. This doesn't have any reflection of me. It's all these things that a 17, 18 year old kid was like, well, I want to be the, I want to be rich. I want to be the next, I want to be the next Teddy, you know? So that was my frame of mind, of course. But after that, I, I was in, I kind of say I found Yoruba. Yoruba was kind of always around. I kind of ignored it. But at that point, when I, decided to leave LA and go to New York. It was mostly about, I'm just kind of done with this scene, the whole music industry. It kind of felt like my soul had been stolen and I, or I gave it away either way. And uh, so I moved to New York and, you know, I got enthralled with this house music and I it always had, I've always been around house, you know, growing up in St. Louis, Chicago's right there. So I've always heard it, but I had never experienced clubbing. You know, so I'd gone and I'm just talking like 93, 94. I'm in the clubs and it's like I'm hearing Louis and Joe Glossel and Ron Tran. I'm like, what is this music? You guys are playing live shit on house music and I'm programming some shit over here for these. So I was like, okay, back up. So then, I, you know, I, I just started getting involved with it. And again, like I said, I've always kind of been around house and I've even had some house stuff together and blah, blah, blah. And I think about a year or two living in New York, I was introduced to Tommy Musto who owned Northcott uh, Distribution. And they own like Suburban, Sulfuric, you know, all these house labels, big house labels, uh, Fourth Floor and all this stuff. And um, I played him some of my like stuff that I had from like early 90s and he loved it. He's like, you want to start a label? And I was like, okay, cool, let's do it. So that's how the label started. It was literally like, by chance, just first meeting, you want to do this? I was like, all right, cool. And so, yeah, we started in 1999, and uh, I think by the second release, which was Closer I Get, we kind of got on the mark um, because of Body and Soul, Joe Clausel, Danny Crivet, and... Um, and uh, Francois K. Uh, Francois K, yeah, sorry. Um, started playing Closer I Get, and they put it on their compilation, and that was like, okay, we're solid. And so from then, it was like, all right. But I also immediately realized, oh, fuck, I got to get other artists on this label. What if I'm the only artist and I fail? I'm available anymore, so then I just start signing people, and but yeah, that was kind of the beginning, the birth of of the label. Um, and you said that Yoruba was always around you for, spiritually for the, for the, un, for the yeah. uninitiated. How would you describe what? Well, Yoruba is? I mean, Yoruba. Yoruba well, the, the premise of Yoruba is it is a nature faith. It is basically paying reverence to all of nature as the component of God that sustains our life. So instead of saying there's some dude up in the sky, it's like no, no, no. 
the wind is giving us coverage. It's blowing shit away that we need to get cleared out. You know, the sun, the, you know, the rivers, or you know, all these things, all these elements are actual life. The actual living and breathing things. And, and, and so the, the idea is to pay reverence and be in connection and balance with these things to learn how to balance your life, you know. So um, all of these energies, like a rock, is just as alive as us. And, you know, you see places in the world that are sacred. Why are they sacred? You know, it's because nature is the thing that sustains us. That's our God. So it's just, you know, Yoruba is actually the practice of our ancestors that learned which herbs to make a bath with, to go to the river and make a, an offering or which, um, you know, foods they like or, you know, whatever. And you you want to get pregnant. Let's go to Oshun's and let's, you know, let's make an offering to her. Maybe she'll bless you with a child. You know, those kinds of things. You're not, you're, you're just basically using the balance of nature the, the nature to balance things that are imbalanced and that's my premise of it i've really never gotten into the whole like um house thing or temple or the whole because you know it's 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 you, you definitely i mean i have a house of course i have an elay we call them the elay but um you know i think that like any spirituality it's a such a personal thing that you don't need you don't need a, a reverend to tell you your connection with the universe. So I think for me, it's been really personal. And as I've gotten into it, it was such a, I can say a life-saving and magical alteration of my life. Like literally, I am not the same person I was before. You know, and there's a there's a idea that when you become a, a an initiated of the Orisha, that you're, you're no longer here. You're in honor of that. Yeah, my ideas change my, 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 you know, you look at the world totally different when you understand that how we see it is not how it really is. You know what I mean? And yeah, I think it's just made me a lot more acceptable to my own peace, you know? So whatever that is to anyone, you know, for me, it's knowing that, all right, I've, I've been on the road and I just picked up some negative energy. I need to make this bath, get these herbs, or I need to go, you know, or I need, you know, just like you get some sage or whatever, you know. Everybody has their way of, you know, balancing what's in balance. And I think for me, that's that, that was the one thing. Like, I, when I moved to New York, it was like literally, I think for about six, six to eight months, like literally... I would turn around the corners and like I would have ladies stopping me. Hey, I need to teach you how to read it. Like, so it was always around. But when I moved to New York, it was like and my answer was like, okay, now it's time to get your shit together. <laughs> so I took two years out from leaving LA and moving to New York and became a priest in that time. And then starting to label, I was like, okay, well, this is really serious for me. Uh, I want the blessings of the Orisha, so I have to give it. It has to be Yoruba, I, it ha, you know. So. And they've uh, they've they've given it to me, and they've they've allowed me to be creative and and expressive and vulnerable. Um, what does being a priest involve? What is it's it, different it for like? everybody. Again, it's a personal thing. I mean, some people they this, their life is to do things for other people. My life is too hectic to do anything for anyone but myself. Although I can say that I do, I do some readings. I do um, some cleansings. Um, I have people that are, you know, people in the business that will call me for, you know, specific things. And I just tell them, all right, take this, do that. You know, it's, it's mostly, again, just balancing and using nature. Nature is amazing. When you learn, when you know the power of, uh, I don't know, just things, you know, if you collect water, rainwater from May and take a bath with that and watch the, the beauty of it, you know. So it's just different things that you learn. And that's, that's the, I guess that's the magic and the power um, to have a priest to show you and to teach you 
the the right way because I've I've seen a lot of um, ill in in this as well uh, because it's human behavior. So you know, again, for me, it's it's just it's it's I've learned that it's something that's so personal that I don't need to be with others to be with others. Right. <laughs> you know, so it's definitely just my own idea. You know, I mean, I I kind of everything that makes sense to me, I I bring into my life. You know. And the Buddhism and, you know, there's all different things. It's all the same energy from, it's all from the same energy. It's different ways of accessing things. And I like to keep my options open. I like to say that I'm one thing or the other. I'm just this being that's walking this place, trying to figure out how to do best and the least damage. <laughs> you know? um, so with the establishment of Yoruba, the record the label, label. Mm-hmm. how much do you think you're spirituality helped to form the sound it was everything it was everything i mean for me i think the one thing about my sound that i think i may be wrong but i think that is i'm very vulnerable when i create i don't have anything in my mind outside of how do i feel if i'm hurt you're gonna hear it in that song you know what i mean if i'm happy or you know it's, it's all these things it's it's just the honesty of of creating and and not having that filter and i think that that was the thing of specifically for the label my approach was i was hearing all this afro brazilian latin infused house stuff from like i said you know my brothers joe louis ron and all and everyone else that was doing house at that time and i was like how great would it be to make folkloric yoruba music to house music it's perfect the beats are already there you know and it's just call and response the primal form of communication from any tribe mm-hmm. i was like yeah and so the first the first thing uh, first thing was yeah it was a uh, native tongue so you know and from there i just kind of found um traditional yoruba songs um and and you know and just and and that and my other focus was to make house music to make soul music that was at a house tempo. So I never looked at it as house music. I was like, well, this is soul. I'm just, it's just, a, it's just got a 4-4 four, four beat. So that, those two things were the elements that were my focus in starting the label. Okay, I find that really interesting that you said that you were making soul music. With at a house a, tempo. <laughs> at a house tempo yeah. and with a kind of, um, I guess, like a steady 4-4 four, four beat. Because I know that at some point i can't remember exactly which year that you'd put out an album and said this is going to be my last house album. house album even though you went on to release like very very successful house singles singles yeah yeah um, well that was because i put out i spent i think three years on that album and which album was that again Please it remember. was uh pyrography pyrography 2009 yeah partly because it was a project it was an art music project and i just put a lot again australia the partner who did the art was an Australian um, pyrographist, which I learned what that was, which is, you know, this pyrography is the art of burning with fire. So this guy named Scott Marr, I met uh, actually one of my artists, uh, one of my cohorts and peers, Ezel. He uh, sent me a picture of this art and he goes, you're going to love this. I said, man, this is totally me. I reached out to the dude. I was going to Australia the first time I'd ever gone. I was in Sydney, actually, and he lives in Blue Mountains. I was like, dude, we got to work together. He didn't know shit about me. He met me, and within five minutes, he was like, blue. I went to Blue Mountains and stayed up there for, I think, probably a month and a half and taught him about the Orishas because the Orishas, every Orisha has, all Orishas have specific numbers, specific colors, specific foods, specific... So this guy, he goes to the bush to source all of his pigments. 
So it doesn't make any, everything is from berries, tree sap, blood from, um, um, what was the, wombats. And he would use anything of nature. So it's actual DNA in the pictures. And so my thing was, when you look online for anything Orisha, Orishas are the gods, the Yoruba gods, that's the, the name. You look online, they, they're all depicted as superheroes. They look like Marvel superheroes. I was like, no, 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 man, this, this is not right. We need to make this, we need to give them the face that they are. They need to be African gods, you know. So I basically stayed there and taught him, you know, the premise of each. I wanted to do the main, the main elements of the main Orisha. So basically, where every point of nature meets, there's a different Orisha. So where the waterfall meets whatever that lake or what, that's a different Orisha. The waterfall is the waterfall is different. The lake is different. The ocean, you know, every form is a different thing. So uh, we wanted to concentrate on the main um, Orishas and make them organic. And the fact that this guy has living DNA in these pictures, I was like, what better? So we had to source out all these colors. So for one one um, Orisha is Yemaya, which is the ocean. She's the mother of the world because it's the ocean. <laughs> so she's, of course, her color is blue. There's no blue in nature. Right. Natural. So I had to go find lazu, lapis lazuli, something like that. I had to go to Turkey and buy this one stone to crush and melt for this thing. I'm trying to show you. Yeah, I was just trying to make everything a little bit more organic. And so the the project was that thing. So I spent, I think, about three years on the project. And we released it. And literally within, I think, three days, I went online. And it was already for download, like 80,000 sites for, for download, for legal download. And I was like, it was there, there, during that period, you know. And I was like, it was such a... Just a smack to me, like wow! All of my work just given away for free, you know. I was, it was, it was like, no, I'm not doing this again. And for me, it was more about the thing of house because something about house, like again, although I, in my in my mind, I'm writing um, soul music to a different, to a higher tempo, a faster tempo. House music comes very easy for me, very easy because it's beat driven, and with drums, I'm, I just have a, I just have a flow. Um, making other things. It's a little bit more, it's more challenging because I'm starting with different elements. I either start with a piano or a guitar or a bass or something. Drums, it's like, all right, let's get drums. I can make a beat like that, you know? And so um, it's a little bit easier, I guess. So I think I felt like, wow. And I think also in, in at that time, there was not a, such a file sharing thing for any other kind of music but electronic music people were really really you know back then it was like every dj wanted to have that song it was like i need that song you know and it was like there's no shelf life to any of this stuff so i just felt like as a as a sound as a genre sorry not a sound as a genre i think there was just so disrespecting of it you know as you know, like well no one you don't see these r&b dudes file sharing all you know and so i, I don't know it po it's possible but i didn't know so i just felt really raped and so i was pissed and i haven't done um uh any house since house album since then but funny thing that you mentioned that because i've just actually released um an exclusive thing for Bandcamp about a month ago uh, which is just some old tracks that i had sitting around from the time that i met tommy same same period same stuff haven't touched it just kind of vault stuff and uh since then i guess about a month and a half ago something weird happened i came up with a house album 
So it's actually my my words are biting myself. I'm biting myself in the ass now because I've actually done a house album and it's um it's up now for um for pre-orders. So it's 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 an interesting thing because again going back to the the climate of how to make records, you know. So uh, yeah, I did say that. <laughs> I guess the lesson is maybe never make declarations. Uh, you know, I don't mind. It's all right. I don't mind. I like being wrong. It's all right. It's always a lesson. Any lesson is a good one. And I believe that Envision was on, was on pyrogra- that album. Yeah, yeah it was on mm-hmm. pyrography. pyrography yeah. Did you have any sense whatsoever of the like scale? I did not. You know, I was so anti everything. And my agents hated me, Defected hated me. So like, man, this song is so huge in Ibiza. And I was like, I hate Ibiza. I'm never going to Ibiza again. And that was like, like you just need to go once. I was like, no, 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 no. And of course, after that, I, w- I went back. I went to Ibiza and I'm like, oh, fuck, I should have come and played. And I was like, you know, okay, fine. But I, I didn't realize because for me, I don't, I mean, I do know the song was a success, especially from Am. Um. You know, it's funny because uh, Dixon, I played it at, uh, I think I debuted it at the Movement Festival the year that Carl Craig did it, the year that it was coming out. And Dixon comes in the booth and he's like, does that say Inner Visions? And I'm like, no, it says Envision. He's like, no, I got to have this. He's like, no, man, it's on my album. So anyway, because of that exchange with good friends, I was like, yeah, we, you can we license it and, and let, let Am do a remix. So that was that was a big push to it. They did a really good job. And so I was happy about that. And uh, yeah. How did things change for you after that point? Because... Uh, Obviously, you'd been... I stopped doing house for the most part. Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Right. I was just like, eh, whatever. Interesting. So you, you didn't feel, um, uh, I don't know, like tempted or kind of compelled no, to... No, I don't, I don't. I'm not like one of those... Like right now, I've, I've got many situations that I always wake up and I'm like, you know, I, got, I can call people and go, hey, let's do this. Let's make this happen. I'm just not that dude. I'm like, I'd rather... For me, everything is about the music. And I don't want to do anything that's not integral to my belief. And sometimes, you know, it, it could be on the teetering thing. So I just stay away from it. It's like, you know what, if I made the music, if the music's good, it's going gonna, it's gonna to stand. You know, if it goes well, fine, then I'll eat a little bit better. If it doesn't, fine, I'll make something else. But I don't make music with any of those things in mind, except I need to get this out of me right now, or I'm, I won't be able to breathe. <laughs> you know, and so that's my thing. Like, it's literally the honesty and the vulnerability of my life. Whatever I write about, even the titles, you know, I have in my phone now. It's like titles after title after title. It could be from a conversation. I might write a title from this conversation, and that'll be a song because it's a part of my life. And, uh, yeah, so I think it's, you know, I'm I'm pretty easy with that kind of pressure on myself i don't the only, i think the only pressure i put on myself is musically like how can i not do what i've done before right and since since envision i feel like uh the track that you put out a few years ago um dion dion yeah. was, was another huge yeah that was funny because that was like 15 minutes of my life right okay as and in the process to make it because 15 of minutes the sample done. okay all right sampled it yeah. 15 minutes done and i was like all right i was like well if this blows up then this Burt Backrack, I can't fuck with Burt Backrack shit. They're going to kill me, <laughs> you know? So I was like, well, let's just do it, and we'll see what happens. And and uh, luckily, nothing happened. But it, the thing was, it was this 45. There is a 45, and it started going for like 100 bucks. And I'm like, what the fuck is happening? This is like really weird. I never had anything like that happen before. And I was like, this shit is crazy. And what it showed me was like, you know, everybody was like, repress, I can't get the thing. I'm like, nope leaving it and then the, the Khaled thing happened the DJ Khaled thing happened So that what's was, the DJ Khaled thing? DJ Khaled sampled Dion for the song he did with Beyonce and Jay-Z Shine The Shining that's that's all the Dion 
I had no idea. So they called me Friday, the weekend before the Grammys on Monday. Uh, DJ Khaled sampled your song, and we're going to release it on Monday. We need your, this is what we're going to offer you. I'm like, you think I'm an idiot? Let's like, go ahead and put it out. So I let him do it. Because for them, that gave me the leverage to make sure that Burt Bagrat got paid. Right. And then he wouldn't come after me. Yeah. <laughs> so it was like, yes. <laughs> so, you know, I waited and, and let that work out. And then also integrally, see, this is kind of thing for me. I, you know, it was like the deal they gave me. I could have had points off. I was like, no, 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 no. I don't want to be associated with any of that. It's crap for me personally, musically. So I was like, it's not something that I want to have on my wall or something that represents me. So I was like, let's just make sure the guy who wrote the song gets paid and give me a few dollars and we'd be fine. And so that was how I dealt with it. <laughs> I, I think I'm still a little bit startled because I'm like, anyone that's like somehow connected to Beyonce, I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I mean, yeah, it was for me, it was just really strange. I was like, wow, you guys are calling me three days before this is happening, you know? And, and I knew it was all a payola thing because this is the way they do it. And it was like, I think the, the by the Tuesday, it was already like number one in the, the, right. the crushing, the, whatever the... Yeah, upcoming things and I was like yeah you guys are paying for this so I basically waited until I saw there was no bullet on the billboard to make the deal I guess they didn't realize that your kind of um, industry inside yeah, yeah, yeah. I know how it works which I have to say that that was the, the working with the majors was the best lesson the best education I could ever have because that's what allows or at least allowed me to continue um, running the label the way I do, you know, I'm I'm basically just an A and R guy. I'm just a music guy. I just choose what I like, and, and you know, and it's it's all about the integrity and the and the honesty uh, of the music. And you know, I came from the old school where none of that that doesn't exist anymore. You know, it's funny because I get a lot of um, daily demo submissions. You know, even on the, on the site, I'm like, we do not take. Do not submit demos to me because I'm a mentor. I like to mentor people. You know, it's it's a, it's a process of watching, you know, someone with that raw talent like f- fuck me up and surprise me and go like, what the how did how did you do that? You know, and it, again, like I said, it's you know, it's like my kid. I'm like, wow, you, you know, I'm happy. It makes me proud, and you know, and it's also something that you know, when people give you your music, they trust you with their music. You know, for me, it's like that's such a big responsibility. And I have to make sure that that is, I'm going to treat it better than I would treat myself, you know, because it's like, you, I'm, you're on my shoulder now, you know, I have to make sure that you're not going to be screwed over. And so that's really important to me. And I think that's why this taking such precedence in the label and the, the, the functioning of it and less about me. Well, what do you hope for the next 20 years of Yoruba? Uh, I hope to achieve a amazing distribution deal that allows me to just pump out music and because you know it's like we have so much music excuse me it's backed up from years from years and years and years that's you know again i i don't rush into anything and i learned a great lesson from simon dunmore from defected you know um he's been distributing the label since 2005 and we have both gone through all of the changes of the business together i've known simon since the 1990s and we've watched you know the from the vinyl to the streaming to the CDs to now the streaming. It's like, what the fuck are we going to do? You know, we've had those meetings like, how are we, we going to sell records? You know, now he's on top. He's doing the thing and I'm loving it for him. He's got a great brand. and But he's taught me one thing, never to rush anything. And so for me, I, I keep that equated to the music. The music's good and there's no rush. Even if I die, I'm still good. 
somebody hear it? <laughs> so that was a great lesson for me in running the label, that and, and just learning how to A&R and, and develop artists, you know, taking my own money out and taking an artist on the road for a month and going, hey, this is what you want? Let's make sure. I guess there's a final, a final question. I'm going to be a little bit cheeky yeah. talking about the history of Yoruba. Yep. Afifi Iku. Afifi Iku. What about him? Who is he? Is ah, he? No idea. Is it you? Yeah. <laughs> you got the scoop. Yeah, it is me. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> so I'll tell you a story about Afifi Iku. Please. Afifi Iku is my name in Yoruba. That's how Olodumare, which is God, sees me. Doesn't see Ocean Lede. I'm named Afefeku after my Orisha. So it's interesting because when I became a priest and I was named that, it's interesting when I create with that frame of mind because it is a different energy. You know, it's definitely a lot more aggressive and uh, I think a bit more electronic as well, which I think for me, it working on my own stuff and one of my friends of mine is always about beautiful chords and melodic things and pretty stuff and you know so I think that there's a difference but there's also a difference of personality that goes into that so yeah that's where that comes from and it actually means the winds of death oh that's a very it's kind of a morbid, a morbid <laughs> well name. Oya is the wind and that's my mother so Oya is the Orisha that deals with the dead so when your ancestors die she's the one that takes you to the cemetery so you know, it's kind of, again, it's one of those things of, of, of faith. Like, I'm guided by my ancestors. And then I'm, I'm a priest of the one that deals with the ancestors. So, you know, it's just all these things. It's like, okay, all right, universe, I get it. You know, so it's just a thing of, of, of seeing the signs, accepting the signs, and understanding how they relate to you. Um, and understanding how you can balance things out. So, yeah.